Praise the Lord and good evening everybody to online Bible study. We are again good to be in the house of God. Those that are in the house with us tonight and those of you who are online with us, we want to say good evening to you and uh, God bless you and thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to go ahead, we'll pray and then we'll see if we can get started with our Bible study for not tonight. Uh, we're in the book of 1 Timothy, so let's pray and we'll see where we go. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you again for the opportunity to come into the house of God. We pray and ask tonight in Jesus' name that you continue to lead us and guide us into your truth. Let us stick to the text of your word, Father, that we might truly see what you're teaching to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, it's interesting um, as we get ready, like I said, to go back into uh, 1 Timothy. I was listening to uh, and reading one of the uh, parables that Jesus was comparing and talking about how um, the wedding that God has planned, you know, for the bride and all. And there was someone who shouted out, you know, blessed is the person who will sit uh, with you in the kingdom and all this. And Jesus said, let me tell you this parable. And he goes on to tell the parable of a great king who issued a command for people to come to his banquet. And everyone that he talked to had an excuse. Um, and finally he says, well, go find the poor people and go find other people and bid them to come. And so the servant comes back and says, well, I've done that and there's still room. He says, well, go out in the highways and the byways and uh, beg them to come in. And so here you have a king that's basically begging people to come uh, to this very fancy celebration and all that he has. And Jesus says that really this is what we're, is happening right now. You know, uh, people are being invited in, compelled to try to get in uh, to what's going to end up being uh, the end of the world and the greatest celebration that God will ever have. And many of them are going off into uh, eternal punishment. And, and that's just a sad commentary on where we are um, as a world. But unfortunately, this seems to be the way that um, when you take the scriptures from beginning to end, uh, the other day I was reading the book of Judges and you see the same thing transpiring, you know, where God delivers the people, uh, they stay straight for a while and they go back into uh, idolatry, that most of the time uh, they allow the enemy to basically take them off behind their passions and the things that uh, they want to believe. Um, and so we just have to be so careful when it comes to trying to deal with the Word of God. And I'm starting off here again tonight because I want to be kind of sober about this particular area because it is an area that I think there's just a lot of problems that are going on out there. And, you know, people will say, and you'll hear people say things. I mentioned it last week. Uh, somebody will say, well, God can do whatever he wants to do. When really what that is is uh, nothing other than, I think, our way of justifying our own rebellion. So when we do what we want to do and we don't, we, other people say we can't do that because God isn't doing that, we say, well, God can do what he wants to do. And so if that's what God wants to do, then he can do it. And basically we justify then um, behaviors and things that the word of God tells us uh, we can't do. Um, and we'll walk through this a little more tonight. Last week we were dealing with First uh, Timothy and we were looking at some verses that were dealing with where we had moved into the discussion of um, how women were to carry themselves, Christian women, and how they were to deal with the concept of teaching and other things in the church. And we saw then in verses 9 through 15, we see Paul explaining to Christian women how they should dress and then moving into a discussion in verse 12, where he begins to talk about um, the teaching and authority in the church. And so let's begin at verse, uh, we'll read verse 9, and we'll read 9 through 15, but then I really want to go back and target uh, verse 12 through uh, 15. So he says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearl or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. 
and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Okay, so we see then that uh, Paul lays out for us uh, an understanding of how the structure of authority and teaching should happen within the church. Um, you see all over the world um, this just not being adhered to. Um, you see uh, women that say they're apostles, they're pastors, they uh, are leading congregations and men, and people say, well, you know, uh, it's, it's working, so God must be blessing it. And I don't know why anybody believes that's always the case, because the Bible is clear that there was the rich man, we talked about him. You know, he had a great life and died and went to hell. So, I mean, just because something seems to be working is not what we want to be basing our um, doctrine on. The Bible doesn't say if it works, it's God. The Bible says we go, we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and this is how we stay out of trouble. Now, these scriptures have nothing to do with what we do outside of the church. So in other words, it is okay and permissible for women to hold positions of authority in outside in business and all that kind of stuff. This has nothing to do with that. This is talking about the structure in the house of God and how God has structured it. And he structured this with the understanding that really the Bible refers to Jesus um, in uh, Corinthians as the second Adam. That's what he's referred to as, the second Adam. He wasn't married, didn't have a wife, but he was referred to as the second Adam. We are the bride of Christ. Uh, we are a part of that. The New Jerusalem and um, his believers are considered that bride. So we would be kind of, if you would, um, Eve as such. So then the expectation is that whatever Adam has been commanded and told by God, Eve has been instructed by Adam, and we are to follow what we've been told. So Paul was selected specifically by Jesus giving him a ministry with signs and wonders to prove and validate his word, and now we have the word in front of us. And to me, it doesn't really take a lot of teaching of it. It takes more just willingness to break down and say, okay, I'm going to believe it and do it. I mean, I, it's just, I mean, it's so plain and simple to me that I think that, you know, delving too deep is almost really kind of like an affront to people. So people say, well, why do people do it? Well, I, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it's the same reason everything goes on in the world. I mean, you know, you have a whole um, women's lib movement that's tied directly to the idea because men have been fairly oppressive uh, with women and things in various ways. And so then you end up with this struggle that goes back and forward. But the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, we can see where this struggle comes from. Um, and it makes sense to me why Jesus keeps saying that the way is narrow and few going to be there find it. I mean, you know, it, it, it makes sense to me. It's unfortunate. I told Sister Laura this morning that we, people really need to think about, you know, that people are dying and they're going to go to hell and stuff like that and are going to miss God. And that should be sobering to us, enough to make us say we're going to keep praying and interceding, like the Bible says, um, supplication, prayer, that people will, their eyes will be open, that they can see the truth uh, that God will want them to see and that they can uh, escape um, the things that Satan uh, is using to deceive uh, many of us. Now, the Bible tells us that we can see the genesis, if you will, for lack of a better term, no pun intended, of where the original sin began. If we go to the book of Genesis chapter 3, Last week, we read the scriptures where we saw God forming Adam, and he formed Adam first, and he had already commanded uh, Adam as it related to certain things, uh, making sure that he was clear uh, that he was not um, to eat of the garden. We see this. We saw it in Genesis chapter 2. Um, so, so let's see if we can look at that Genesis 2, and we'll look at verse 15 through 18. All right, so we'll look at Genesis 2, and we'll look at 15 through 18. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die." And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone, but I will make him and help meet for him. And the Bible tells us that God 
formed all these beasts and animals. And many times, this is why you hear the foolishness now. Just think about it. Watch this. This is why you hear the foolishness now when men many times will say, you know, my dog is my best friend. Or, you know, I, 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 you know I, I, my pet. Or whatever they're saying because they don't want to acknowledge that they need a woman. You know, they just don't want to need a woman. I mean, I'm just me and my dog. I'm fine. No, you're not. God didn't make a dog to be your, your help me, okay? I, he can go fetch a stick and he can do all that, but that's not what God did. And so we see here God doing this. God says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make and help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that's their name. And Adam gave names to the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. So at, there's no Eve anywhere now at this point. So he's naming animals, and they're coming, and he ain't got no friend. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. Out of all this that God did and made, there was not what he needed. And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Now, remember, God's already told Adam what not to do in the garden. You can't eat from that tree. Don't do it. Now, he puts Adam to sleep took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead, and the rib which the Lord God took from man, he made a woman and brought him to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken from man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Then you got all the white space between Verse 25 and chapter 3. See that white space right there? All right. The very next thing says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman. Now, of course, Adam didn't talk to the woman before this, I'm pretty sure. All right? Because the Bible is clear that God told Adam what not to do. Eve was nowhere around. God brings animals, does other stuff, says, I, he don't, I don't have anybody. He forms the woman. Then Adam says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And the next thing we hear about is the devil. So, but something happened between the devil showing up. And I'm pretty sure Adam was hanging out with Eve and they were having conversations. And he was telling her things as he was doing the garden and doing his thing. And she was helping him. And they were having a great time. They were naked. Nobody's, you know, ashamed. We're, we're, we're just having a wonderful time in his garden. Now we get to chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman. Now for some reason then Eve is wherever she is. And at this point, we have to believe at this moment, she's probably by herself, even though we're going to see something in a moment that makes it seem like she's not. But I don't think that's what makes sense, but we'll see about it as we keep going. And the, he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, the serpent did not challenge what God said. You're going to watch it. You'll see. He didn't challenge that God said it. So where did Eve hear that? She heard it from Adam, because nowhere are we given a record that God independently came back and said to Eve, okay, Adam, you chill out while I talk to Eve. That didn't happen. God made Adam. He told Adam what to do. Then he gave Adam a helpmeet. Adam and Eve had whatever they were, had going on. Adam told Eve whatever he told her that God said, and she accepted it, instead of, you know, well, I ain't heard from him. You know, I'm going to see if I hear from God. That ain't what happened. He told her, she accepted it, and they went on about the bed. And then the devil showed up. Now watch, the devil doesn't, he don't even bring Adam up. He goes directly after God, which is Adam, what she got, she got it from Adam who gave it to her and told her what God said. So he didn't challenge that Adam didn't hear from God. This is what he says. He says in verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to be like gods, knowing good and evil. So, in other words, what he does is he doesn't say, who told you that? 
Or Adam told you that? How you know Adam heard that from God? You, you know what I'm saying? He doesn't do that. He goes straight because he knows God said it. He knows Adam heard God and Adam told her the truth. He's distorting now the truth. So he basically says, well, no, I'm just not so sure that basically that's what's happened. What basically happened was God said that, but the reason God said it is because he knows in the day that you eat it, you are now going to be like God. So he challenges what God said. He doesn't challenge whether he said it. See, there's no doubt that God told Adam what he told him. And many times people will say, well, there's no record. Maybe God spoke to Eve. He didn't, and that's out of order, because we would have at least been told. that somewhere independently, God took Eve aside and said, oh, by the way, what Adam told you is true. None of that's there. We're making all this stuff up. We have to remember, we have to stick with Scripture. So what the Scripture tells us is, Adam was by himself. God commanded Adam not to eat from the trees. God then tried to bring Adam a help meet. He brings him all these animals and stuff. Bible says there's nothing there for Adam. God then makes Adam a woman. She's his helper. They're naked and they're running around together. Then the devil shows up. So when the devil shows up, all we know is there's nothing else, no independent scripture that would tell us where Eve got this information. She would have had to have gotten it from Adam. Now, God forbid she got it directly from God, like people say. Well, maybe, okay, God did tell her. Let's say I submit and I will yield to that argument that, okay, Eve got it from God. Well, now she really is really bad because not only did Adam tell you, not tell you, God directly told you, and you still believe the devil. So what's wrong with you? You see what I'm saying? You got to understand something is going on. Something is happening here, and we got to understand what this something is about. Because this takes us fast forward to why Paul says, let's go back to 1 Timothy. This is why Paul says, when we get in 1 Timothy again, when we look at chapter 2 and we look at verse 13, he says, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived. That's simple enough. We don't need no Greek for that. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So the Bible tells us then that Adam wasn't deceived. So he just outright followed Eve. And the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So now let's go back and let's see what happens. So we see then that the devil is dealing with her. We see then in verse 6, he begins to utilize all of the Things that we said are the things that the Bible says that God hates about the world. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Remember, the devil tempted Jesus in his hunger. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. So here you have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There they are right there. That's what the Bible says. They're all of the devil. That's what God doesn't like. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All right. I don't mean to keep bouncing y'all around, but of course, it's the better way to do this, I guess. Since we, I keep joking around saying it's Bible study, so we'll try to use the Bible. Um, so what I'm going to do then is let's just do this right quick so we can see. Let's validate this with each Let's just take it line upon line, a little bit at a time. So let's go to the first epistle of John, chapter 2, and let's look at verse 15 through 17. All right, so we're going to 1 John, chapter 2. We're going to read verse 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So remember, we're talking about the will of God. What did God say we're supposed to do? That's the word. 
So now we see this happening in Eve. This is why God hates the world. You see, if we go back in verse 6, Genesis 3, 6, and the woman saw the tree was good for food. All right, so there we are with the lust of the flesh. You know, the Bible says that people's bellies are their gods. Here we are, the lust of the flesh, good for food, and the lust of the eyes. So she saw that it was pleasant to her eyes. And the pride of life, desire to make one wise. You're going to be like God. There it is. And so he used those very things to draw Eve in and deceive her. And the Bible tells us, John says, these are the things that the father knows right now can deceive us. So then in verse 6 it says, And one woman saw all these things, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Now this is where it gets a little strange, because the scriptures don't exactly tell us where Adam was, okay? Because it seems somewhat odd that the devil would be having this conversation with Eve, and then Adam is standing there, and he doesn't intervene in any way, okay? He just kind of listens and lets her be deceived, and then he just takes the fruit himself. I don't know. Now I'm trying to apply a little bit of just our own experience to this. And that is that if I would like to believe if I was Adam in this situation, let's just use the scriptures we have because we don't have anything else to work with. If I was there, I would be contesting with the serpent because I know what God said. And Eve, I know what I told you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I would think now, the only other thing that could happen is this serpent, and because you got to remember now, Adam was formed and God was making these animals and bringing them to Adam. So it's not like Adam is not aware that this is a creature, okay? He would know, you know, you were created, you're a creature. You would think Adam would know this if he was there. So it appears to me that something happened. And I think that what probably happened, it says, and the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Then it says, and gave also unto her husband with her, which makes me wonder, did she take it back? Wherever Adam was, whatever Adam was doing, did Adam show up? And she say, man, you got to taste this. And he's like, what is it? And she's like, it's that tree, fruit from that tree. And he goes, I thought we weren't supposed to eat that. I thought if we eat that, God said we're going to die. Am I dead? You know, I don't know what happened. That sounds more like it to me. And Adam's like, well, I mean, if he thinks dead means you drop dead, well, she ain't dead. She ate it. You see, you got to think about what else would work. I mean, okay, that's like I'm standing here and some guy is talking to my wife. And he's telling her all kind of stuff that I don't think is true. I just stand there. And then she turns and tells me, did you hear what he said? I'm going to do it. And then she does it. And then she tells me, you should do it too. And then I do it. No contest, nothing. Now, nothing happens. I don't know about that. It just seems to me, again, this is all speculation, but we got to realize what's going on here, is that Eve was off by herself. The devil came up on her. He started talking. He knew the conversation she had with Adam about the tree. She challenges. She doesn't say it wasn't God. He didn't hear God. He doesn't do that. He just says what y'all think ain't true. God knows he's lying to y'all. He said that, but he's lying because he knows that when you eat that tree, you're going to be like him. He don't want you to be like him. So Eve eats it. And I think she then went back and found Adam. Wherever he was, whatever Adam was doing, just like right now, I don't hang out with Sister Lori all day. We don't go everywhere. She go to work. I go to work. You go to work. Chris ain't here. I mean, you know, all kind of stuff. You know, so I think she found him. She had the fruit with her, and she told him. And he's like, where where'd you get that? He's like, it's from that tree. I, we, didn't I tell you God said not to eat that? 
and whatever, and now what? She's still alive. Adam took it, and he ate it. So Adam really wasn't deceived. Now, Eve didn't trick Adam. She gave it to him, and he ate it, probably because she convinced him, well, look, I ain't dead. I mean, and this is what I was told. Now, I don't know how all that went down. All I know is that that's what happened. And then God did this. So let's see we know what we do know happened. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It's the first time we hear they. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord of God amongst the trees in the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of that tree whereof I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Okay, here we go again. So, Adam, were you just standing there? And she had, I don't think that's what happened. I think Adam was wherever he was. She got it, ate it, wow, brought it to him. She gave it to me, and I ate it. Okay. So then God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me. Now, so she acknowledges the devil deceived her. Okay. Right out of her own mouth. Adam says she gave it to me. God says, okay, I'm going to leave you right here for now. Let me talk to her. What did you do? Well, the devil tricked me. Oh, okay. Now, let's go back. We want to go real slow. Eve is a perfect woman. There ain't more perfect you're going to get than Eve. Adam was a perfect man. You ain't going to get no more perfect than Adam. Adam heard directly from God, formed by God, heard God's voice, told his wife, what God said. The devil turned around and told her something else. She did what the devil said. She gave it to her. He did what she said. And two perfect people got kicked out the garden. Now here we come with all our idiosyncrasies and lack of perfection and want to claim all the time that we all know what God's saying. Can't do what we really say, but we got God. I, well, I just don't, you know, I just... Figure when I die, I just get there and see what God going to say. Because to me, this is just silly. God put it right here, and he, done, he couldn't have told us any more straight about what he wants than he told Adam. And the question is, are y'all going to do it, or are you going to let Eve convince you to eat the fruit again? Some people, it's just yes. I'm just going to eat it one more time. Here we go again down the road. This is what it says in the next verse. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, he moved on to the serpent. He says, because you've done this thing, you're cursed above all the cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon your belly, you're going to go. Dust you're going to eat all the days of your life. And I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. It's interesting how, especially women, they can't stand snakes. Men don't like them for the most part, but they cannot stand snakes. I mean, it's like they just can't stand them. And many times when women are pregnant, and this has been proven scientifically, snakes are attracted to women that are pregnant. Craziest thing, but they are. But the Bible says that God said, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and hers. And so he used the word seed, and the Bible continues to say that word seed is referring to Christ, that through the woman is going to come a seed that's going to crush the head of the Satan. You know, it says you're going to bruise his heel, which is what they said happened when Jesus was killed by the devil, but then Jesus crushed his head. Then in verse 16, it says this, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow. God never intended childbirth to be painful. But he says, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and your desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, these scriptures saying that your desire is going to be in your husband's place. That's going to always be your desire, to have that place. He says that's part of your curse now. Childbearing and the desire to be in authority. 
over Adam. Because that wasn't happening. They were just in the garden together. Nowhere do you see God saying, Adam, you in charge of Eve. Eve, you in charge of Adam. Nothing. They just in the garden doing what they're doing. It's not until this happens that God sets an order, and now he says, okay, Adam is going to take authority. Adam's going to be the one responsible for the work. We're going to see him get it now. You're going to have the children, and you were going to have them, and it was going to be no pain. But I'm going to increase your pain so that you always remember how we got here. And you're going to desire to have authority over Adam, but you can't. Why? Because you've proven that you can't take authority. The devil done tricked you. If the devil tricked the most perfect woman there ever was, why would any other person think they can't get tricked? I just don't understand. I, I just don't get it. I don't understand that. Verse 17, and unto Adam he said, because thou have hearkened unto the voice of your wife, there's his reason, and you ate from the tree, not because you were tricked, not because you were deceived, but because you hearkened unto the voice of your wife. Now, all you got to do is go and look. Every time I was reading the other day in the book of Judges about Samson, Samson lost all his hair because Delilah kept messing with him. I mean, at first he told her, do this and do this and this will happen. And he lied to her. And, and Samson, the Philistines are on you. He jumped up and beat him up. And she eventually started crying. Why? 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 You lied to me. Finally, he told the truth. He said, I can't take it no more. He told the truth. They cut all his hair off and he lost all his strength. So you see consistently these men yielding and ending up in trouble. So... Everybody needs to understand positionally what God is trying to do. This doesn't make women bad or men bad. This is the nature of things, and we have to understand it and be willing to accept it. When we're not willing to accept it, we're open to deception, real deception then. This is no different than what we're seeing today. You know, today I think my wife and I were just talking about it. It's supposed to be Women's Day or something. I don't know what it's called. And she said the president's wife, I guess, honored a transgender woman. Now, you pick the day for women to honor a transgender woman. Okay, so now you see the whole thing flipping on itself. There was a, I mentioned this maybe a couple Sundays ago, but this now it's just making even more sense to them. This lady had been a lesbian, and she is still a lesbian feminist, which basically means she don't, she don't want man and she is a feminist, right? She now is saying, here we go, the ultimate has occurred. Now, white men are taking old, they just done took women, being a woman even. So now it's like the whole thing done flipped on its head. I was a feminist. I can't stand men. I don't want men. I think men, we should rule over them. Well, now the same men have become women. And now they're ruling over you as women. They're run, outrunning you in races. They're outswimming you. They're outlifting you. They're, they have taken over womanhood. And now they don't know what to do with it. So now men are taking over womanhood. And, and, and I don't think nobody knows how to react anymore now. So now it's like, have you really joined us? Or have you actually defeated us? Because even the young women are all screaming, we can't beat you at weightlifting. We can't beat you running. We can't beat you... Well, oh, Lord, to tell you, you know, welcome to the new world of women. I, I mean, what are you going to say? Well, it's the absolute consequence of failure to follow the order of God. That eventually this is where you get. All right. So then he tells Adam, because you hearkened to the voice of your wife and you ate from the tree, which I commanded you not to eat, you are cursed. The ground is cursed for your sake. In sorrow you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns, thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. All right, so now we see that this is why a man is charged with responsibility for his family, and he's the one that got to go to work. That the bottom line is, and when stuff ain't going right, ain't nobody trying to hear about your wife, ain't got no job, and we got all them cheering. Anybody want to hear all that? Get you a job, get you two, or get you three. Whatever you need to do, sweat, work, take care of your family. That's your responsibility. Simple as that. You know, you can't put it on your wife. You can't try to make it her responsibility. Her, her responsibility, she can help. I mean, women can work if they want to work. We're not saying they can't. 
But scripturally, God says it's your responsibility. That's part of your curse. It's <laughs> just the way it is now. So while you want all that authority you got now, good. Go out there and work. That's part of it. So we see this then. Scripturally, God has laid it out. Now he takes us back. All right, let's go back. And we're going to go back to Timothy, and we see then what is occurring then. All right. So let me get here. Let's go back to 1 Timothy. And we can take a look here, 1 Timothy chapter 2 again. So we see then that he tells us then, he says, now, now this is kind of why he's saying what he's saying. People will say, well, this is what's cultural at the time. And we know it's not cultural because we see he talks about Adam and Eve. He helps us to understand why he's setting this order. And he's not saying that women can't teach, women can't be in authority. He's saying they should not be teaching men and they should not be in authority over men in the church. Simple as that. That's what the scriptures say. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And then he says, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being in the transgression was in the, tra being deceived was in the transgression. This then gives us some insight into possibly why. We don't know that because Paul doesn't tell us this exactly. Uh, there, it appears that there is something about this that causes, caused Eve to be deceived by the enemy. We don't know what that is, but we do know that the fact that this is the case has caused God to set this order inside of the church. Then he goes on and says in verse 15, Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And that scripture has really been interpreted, I told you last week, to mean what the Bible was saying about Eve's, the seed of the serpent, would bruise his heel and he would crush his head, or he would bruise his head, and that she would be saved in childbearing. That as a woman, you, you don't have anything to feel bad about. Yeah, Eve got deceived, but the bottom line is that the only way we get saved is through the birth of a child, through the divine child, Jesus. And on top of that, every single man of God, authority of God, has to come through a woman, and he got to have a mama. So you play a great role in raising every single pastor that's going to ever preach from a pulpit. You understand what I'm saying? See, so the idea is not that women aren't playing a significant role because they are there to lead these children as they're growing up. But when they become men, God is saying the church is under the responsibility and the men should teach men. That's what's going on here. And that ultimately, even the women that are there, they should learn under this authority, right? Now, people say, I don't believe that. <laughs> okay, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, what do you say? I mean, you know, we can get a different Bible, uh, try to change it up, but hopefully I'm going to keep walking us through this tonight so that we're clear on what he was trying to teach us. Um, let's go into chapter 3, and we're going to begin at verse 1. Now, remember what we just got through talking about, and remember that these letters are not written with chapters and verses in them. Paul is writing a letter. So Paul just got through saying... I don't want women to teach or assert authority over men. All right? So my position is that Paul is saying, you, there's no way, unless you got a church full of women, you can't be the pastor. You cannot stand in that position. You can't be the apostle over the church. You can't stand in those positions. Now, the next verse says this. This is a true saying. If a man, all right, let's, let's stop right there. If a man, so now we see in the verses prior to this, Paul is talking about women asserting authority, assuming authority and teaching men. Then we now see Paul say, don't do that. And then Paul's about to start talking about the qualifications of a bishop. The word means bishop, pastor, overseer of a church. And he starts off saying, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now, why would Paul... Three sentences ago say, I don't want a woman taking authority over me and a teacher. But when I use the word man here, I'm not talking about 
man the gender. I'm talking about mankind. I've heard that one, all right? I've heard people say, yeah, but also the Bible says in Jesus Christ there's no longer bond, male, female, bond, nor free. Uh, we're all one in Christ. Yeah, that's right. But that doesn't mean that you're sexless. That don't mean that there's no bond, no free. There, there were people in bondage and there were people freedom. He's saying in Christ, Jesus does not look at us and say, because you're a slave, I treat you different or I respect you differently. Or because you're a woman, I treat you differently or I respect you differently. The Bible says, we just read it out of 1 John chapter 2, he that does the will of God will abide forever. Not he who does what he want to do. Not he who does stuff for God. None of that. He who does the will of God will abide forever. The will of God we know is what God said in his word. All right, so here we go. This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. All right, there we go again. We're not going to talk about yet so much the qualifications of the bishop. We're going to talk about it in a minute, but we want to dispel this woman thing. And I'm not trying to beat up on it. I want to just get it straight. That's why we ain't doing it up here, but they can do anything they want in the world. I just ain't doing it up here because I ain't going to have God taking my head off for something that I'm, I can read because I got some common sense, okay? I don't need a lot of Greek to understand this. When you say this is a true saying, that means that's, this is the deal. This is real. If a man desires the office of a bishop, then it says a bishop has to have one wife. Now, there has never, ever been a time in the Bible where a husband has been a woman. Never. It's never, nowhere from the Old Testament to the New has a husband been a woman. So there's no way you could take verse 1 and say, man there means mankind. Male or female, like the Bible says in the beginning, God created man, he, male and female created he them. Neither can you say God can do whatever he want to do. Well, then that's the case, I don't need to be up here because I don't know what he's doing there. And none of us know. If God can do whatever he want to do, God can raise up who he want. Well, okay, if you say so. Well, then that means God, what part of this can we trust, right? If God can do whatever he want to do, then... What part of what God said might he not do? What if God said, put your trust in Christ and you shall be saved? Doesn't it say that? Whoever believes in Christ will be saved. Well, is it okay for God not to save you since he can do whatever he want to do? No. See, see, we make God into a liar, man, and, and, and we start trying to make, make God into a position where he's, he has to accept what we want to do. It's our will, right? So here we see then plainly, you can't be a husband and be a woman. You can't. A wife is the woman. And matter of fact, these scriptures in other translations, it will say, the bishop then must be blameless, a one-woman man. You know, when they take the word wife, that word in Greek is woman. So they're saying he has to be a one-woman man, the husband of one wife, the husband, the man of one woman. It, that you cannot have, now, this has been interpreted in multiple ways. So we're going to shift away now, because I, I had all I can stand on that thing. I, I think I'm convinced myself, if nobody else, okay? <laughs> we finna start talking about the bishop, right? Now, I'm going to try to walk on this lightly, since I'm in here, um, not to suggest that I meet all these qualifications. You know, I'm going to do the best I can to explain them with the understanding that if I don't, I know I need to be working on them. Uh, for sure, because there are going to be some things that sometimes you ain't where you need to be. But the point is, I got one thing down. I'm a man, all right? And I desire the office of this bishop. So it's a good work. That's what the Bible says. If you desire it, it's a good work. And so then it starts giving me qualifications. It says the bishop must be blameless. Now, that word blameless, we need to understand. That word blameless means above reproach. It means without anything that people can come and hold against you and be saying negative things about you and all. But now we understand this is talking about after your transformation. Because if Paul is the least person to be sitting here talking about being blameless, okay? I mean, because this was always getting him in trouble, that he was there when Stephen got stoned. He was always doing things to people. But Paul kept saying, 
I have given my life to Christ, and now I am in Christ. So the Bible, when it talks about blameless, he's not talking about the fact that you didn't do something in your former life or whatever. He's talking about now in this moment we're living in. In other words, today as the pastor of this church, if somebody can walk in here today, let's say, and I was teaching a class yesterday, and let's say they walk in here and say, you will never believe what y'all pastor did yesterday in class. He cussed a student out. See, that's what it's talking about here. It's saying that I have to recognize that my life has to start living further and further and further above reproach because you are standing in an office that really represents God to the people. And as such, then, you have to start trying to guard your life in such a way that it's a blameless life. It's not a lot. You can't be hanging out in places where you can get accused of things or being things or doing things. You can't do that. The husband of one wife. People will say there's several different ways this has been interpreted. One, some have taken a position you couldn't have been divorced in any way. Others take it you can't be divorced in the wrong way. In other words, Jesus gave provisions for that, that if, you know, someone, Paul said, if a woman abandons you or if um, they commit adultery or whatever the case might be, you have grounds for a divorce. And so in those situations, those divorces are legitimate. But just divorces where you just walk away from a spouse and things like that, the position was that's not right. Because what? Now you have more than one wife. Because Jesus said if you marry again, you're committing adultery. So now you got two wives. Whether you want to admit it or not, you do. So that debate's there. But that has to be resolved by whoever that person might be. Next is the possibility that it means Definitely, we know it means this without a doubt. You can't have more than one wife at a time, all right, like the Mormons were doing. You can't have bigamy and polygamy and all the things that were going on in the Old Testament where David had all these wives and Solomon had all these wives because God even told David when he messed up with Bathsheba, if you had told me you wanted more wives, I'd have gave them to you. Abraham had more than one wife. You know, there, so, but, but God was making it clear, in this dispensation, we ain't doing that. that and I think for sure that's what this means. Uh, and I think that probably is the better interpretation of ultimately what it means for sure. And that is that the bishop has to be the husband of one wife. And you see the same thing applying to um, others like deacons and other things like this. And I think then that, it, but, but I think it goes beyond that. And the only reason I say that is because I'm pretty comfortable that I like the interpretation of the one-woman man because if you only apply this to bishops and deacons, well, what does that mean by the rest of the men? You know, can they have more than one wife? And I just don't think that that's what, I think the scriptures are clear that God has, has now brought it back to the way it's supposed to be. Male and female, one Adam and Eve, and that's it. None of all this other stuff y'all got going on here. And so I believe that when we're looking at that, these are the multiple ways we can look at it. But for sure we know that God is very concerned about making sure that the bishop, i.e. pastor, overseer, is seen above reproach as it relates to his family and having one wife. It then says vigilant and sober. And these words basically refer to like a, a being in the army, that the pastor has to be one that is constantly on guard, paying attention to the things that matter to the congregation and to the church, constantly in prayer, constantly trying to make sure that the things of God that apply to the congregation are being, in fact, applied. Sober-minded, in other words, not somebody who is just always jesting and light and, 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 and not really of serious nature, understanding that it's important that we understand people are dying and going to hell. And people need to understand this. It's not a joke. You know, this is real stuff here we're talking about, real life. And we see the devil constantly uh, tearing families apart. You know, you, now you got 12-year-olds shooting people and you got broils in school going on that, you know, we had never seen the kind of stuff going on now that we're seeing happening in some of these places. And it's up to us to be sober-minded, at least the bishops, praying about what needs to happen. Then it says of good behavior, just basically meaning that you're not going to hear that your pastor out 
handling themselves in a way that amounts to the kind of behavior that you find reproachful, that you would be ashamed of, to say, oh my God, really? You know, that, that, that's just not the way we're supposed to handle ourselves. Uh, given the hospitality, in other words, people who we don't mind um, entertaining people. You know, if you notice here that, you know, Sister Lori's always doing something and we're always, you know, trying to be uh, um, open with people. I, I joke around during fellowship, but it's really true. I love that time. It's probably one of the best times I like going down, shaking people's hands and, and, and just talking to people and things. Um, but that's part of what we should be. And then next, apt to teach. It means then that, you know, a pastor needs to be able to teach. You know, if you're going to be a bishop, are you going to be a pastor? you got to be able to teach the people, you know, so you should have at least the aptitude to teach, the ability to teach, and then what? Be teachable so that you can have learned something that you can teach the people. Um, and so these are the qualifications. Not given to wine. You know, this has been interpreted in multiple ways, one being not given to, not drinking any wine at all. It's been interpreted as not loitering over the wine. In other words, that you're given to it, you know, you're giving in to wine. Um, the, the reason that some say that's not how you probably ought to want to look at this is because when it begins to talk about the deacons, um, when we get down to, let me see. When we look at verse 8, if you go to verse 8, you'll see there where it says, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine. So some suggest that language in and of itself it distinguishes the bishop from the deacons. That here it's saying that the deacons can drink some wine, just not much, and the pastor don't get none. That that's what it means when it says... Um, not given to wine. But we know for sure what you're not supposed to be is a drunkard. One way or the other, whatever you interpret that to mean, whether you interpret it to mean not given to, in other words, you're not given to wine in the sense that you hang and lauder over it to where you stay drunk, uh, or the fact that it means none, for sure we know that drunkenness is not permitted. Uh, no striker. In other words, the, the pastor should not be a person that is the first one to strike out in church, for sure. You know, I mean, if something go wrong, you know, the pastor hollering louder than anybody else, you know, or willing to, you know, get into the fights. You see this in some of these churches, you know, where people are actually literally fighting over things that are going on. So they say the same thing. The pastor should not be that person. Now, here's another interesting one. Uh, not greedy or filthy lucre. In other words, it says that a pastor should not be a person who is greedy for money. Now, what's interesting to me is, you know, when you look at the new prosperity movement, it's interesting how much emphasis people put on money and stuff. And they keep saying, well, it's not that I'm greedy for money. I just, this is the Lord just blessed me. But there's got to be a reason this is put in here. And there's got to be a way that things are demonstrated. You know, um, I can't tell people how to manage that. I do know that the very last sentence says you shouldn't be covetous. So you take covetousness and hook it up with not being greedy for money. You shouldn't be preaching for money. That's for sure. A lot of people will say, well, I'm in, um, they don't want to stay in the ministry because they can't make a career out of it, they say. Well, God didn't call us to careers. You know, and back in the day when people were, ministers of the gospel, many of them were being beheaded and crucified and put in jail. Today, it's more like a position that people are aspiring to because they're looking for a career option. You know, uh, I decided to be a pastor instead of an engineer or a pastor instead of a lawyer instead of a call. So the Bible also says that person should be patient and not a broiler, a brawler. You know, in other words, it shouldn't be if you hear about something jumped off in the bar, pastor wasn't the first one through the punch. You know, you're not a brawler. These are the kinds of things that you ought to be able to look at your pastor, look at a bishop, and be able to say, okay, you qualified or you're not. 
In other words, if we were trying to select a pastor right now, let's say, for instance, that we were looking for a pastor for the church, these are the qualifications that we're dealing with. Verse 4, one that rules his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. And that word gravity actually means with dignity. You rule your house with dignity and with respect. You know, in other words, people there, this is, this is how the Amplified Bible says it. He must rule his own household well, keeping his children under control with true dignity, commanding their respect in every way, and keeping them respectful. So in other words, you should be raising your children in such a way that when people look at them, they command you, they, your presence commands their respect, and they're respectful. Now, I'm, I'm, I'll use Brother Chris as an example to me. You know, when you look at Brother Chris, you know, and you look at his kids, I mean, whether it's William or Andrea, not only are they both do his, the parents, but does Brother Chris, his presence commands respect from them. I see it when they're around him from the time they were small to this day, they grown now, they still, his presence commands respect from them. And they are respectful. Anytime I talk to William, anytime I talk to Andrea, I always feel like I, I get the utmost respect from them, you know? So that's the idea, that, that you ought to know this person by looking at their household, looking at their children, and you could say, here's a person that um, is qualified uh, for this office. And then it says, for if a man not know how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So your house is like a little church. You know, so you have your wife and you have your children. Just like in the church, you have people and they have kids and they've got a church. If you can't run that little house, how are you going to run a whole church? You know, if, if, and I'm not trying to get up in nobody's business because I don't know what people do. But if you go to your house and, you, you know, you getting bossed around by everybody in your house, your wife, your children, everybody, you ain't going to be able to handle no church. Because I'm telling you, when you get to church, everybody's going to be your boss. Because everybody got ideas and thoughts and processes about everything. You have to be able to be respectful, but at the same time be able to t make decisions and, and command respect so that when it's all over, you're able then to get done what God wants to get done, and the people still respect you in that sense and not feel like they're not being listened to or whatever else, or you some kind of dictator or you whatever, but they recognize and the respect comes from that. And then he says this is the last thing, and we're going to stop here with verse 7. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without. Uh, no, I'm sorry, verse 6. I, I skipped that. Not a novice. This is why you tell people they get called and go start a church. That ain't God. Not a novice, which means a new convert, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. See, so in other words, I've heard people say, well, you know, I got... I found, I mean, I got saved, and God told me to go start a church. No, he didn't tell you that. God didn't tell you that. Maybe God told you, maybe you thought you heard, maybe you're sensing the office of a bishop desiring a good work, but God's not going to put you in that right away as a new convert. He ain't going to do that. He said he ain't going to do that because you're going to get lifted up with pride. There's no way all of a sudden you just met Jesus and you're in charge of the whole church that somehow you're not going to start thinking you something special. And he says, the devil is just going to take that and lift you up with pride, and you're going to fall into the same condemnation the devil did because your pride is going to make you fall. So he says, no new converts. Make them sit down. Let them go through the process, and eventually they can work their way up to being a pastor or a bishop. That's how we do this. And then he says, verse 7, moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. So once again, and I challenge people on this one, at least for what I think I know, um, you can go out there and ask anybody that knows me, ask them what they think about me. If anybody says something really super negative, get deeper into what they say. That's all I would say. That's the only thing I would say to defend myself because everyone that I hear, people always come back and say, you know, somebody I saw the other day, I told them who you were and they were going on great things they had to say about you or whatever the case might be. Not because I'm great and perfect. The Bible just says, you should be above reproach with them that are without. Well, I handle myself in such a way with people out there that they don't have anything. I, what? I, I haven't done you anything. I try not to do you anything. I try to give you more than even the people that work for me. If they come out and do something, if they charge me $5, I give them 10 sometimes. You know, I, I try to do this just out of being uh, a, a, a Christian. And so with that being the case, God is saying that 
you shouldn't have people out there saying all kind of negative things about you. You know, if you walk up to somebody and you say, well, so-and-so is my pastor, and every single person you say that to, they go, I don't know about that, then you might want to check into that, because that's, that's, that's problematic. That should not be the case, and that brings to question uh, the qualifications that this individual may have for that office. All right, now we're going to go ahead and stop right there. Next week, we're going to pick up with the deacons in here, and then we can get into the discussion about deaconesses and whether or not what we're doing with all that. I mean, you know, it's just, I mean, we be making up a lot of stuff, but we'll see what happens. So let's pray, and we're going to get ready to go ahead and dismiss.